We had a lot of comments about last week. People said they'd never seen the cross quite like that before. Um, well, let's plunge in even deeper. And I'm going to stick with the text that we started with, which is in Luke 23 and verse 34. Incidentally, if you weren't here last week, that's perfectly okay. There's an overlap. I've got to do catch up in some respects. Uh, and this does stand by itself. Okay. Verse 34, then Jesus said, and I told you last week that the word there is actually saying he was repeatedly saying. And so we can't really say this is one of the sayings of Jesus from the cross because it was a repeated for every act of torture that they put upon him. He responded with, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And, it, it then, and they divided his garments and cast lots, which somehow that juxtaposition only emphasizes this, that he is saying, Father, forgive them. And as far as they're concerned, it's a roll of a dice. And who gets this and who gets that? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I, I want to um, go at this text this week by saying, who is the one that can say, Father, forgive them? That's the biggest question, really, because what we're um, saying, who is Jesus? All of our ideas about his dying for us hangs upon that one thing. Who is Jesus? Who is this man who hangs on a cross by two, three nails? Who is he that he can say? What authority? I mean, the, the Pharisees had said, who can forgive sins but God only? And here, in the midst of unspeakable agony and torture, he is saying that, Father, forgive them. Who is he? But, but secondly, what, whatever the answer to that is, I say again, who is he? Who is it that can receive such torture? and respond with such incredible compassion and love and say, Father, forgive them. This, this one sentence is filled with questions, and they are all questions that lead us to the very heart. What was Jesus doing when he hung on the cross? So having said that, who is he? Most people in the church today, their Jesus is too small. In fact, he's worse than small, he's minuscule. Um, the fact is, we are dealing with Jesus, Son of God, Creator. And this is established very clearly in the Scripture. He is the Creator. His uh, title, The Word, echoes back, in fact, if you notice, the Bible begins with the words, in the beginning, God created. And then in the first chapter of John, unquestionably, he picked that up and said, in the beginning was the Word. And he speaks of Jesus as the Word. And therefore, Jesus is the Word of Genesis 1. When we hear, let there be light, we are actually hearing Jesus, the Creator, and it says there that he was before anything was. He already was. He's the one unbegun. And he comes to us, introduces as the creator. And then in Colossians, it says that he is the one who holds everything together. And um, the word is co consist, or it means cohesion. He is the glue of creation. Or to put it this way, he didn't create and then say, well, on your way, and, and I'll see you on Judgment Day. I, I, I heard Glenn Beck say that. You know, God, God created everything and sort of patted us on the head and said, I'll see you on Judgment Day. 
um, meaning he created, but then the creation finds its own way. And no, it says in him all things consist, which means having created it, he becomes the one who upholds it. And it continues. This, um, let, let me quickly read it. To, I, I'm not making this up. <laughs> Colossians 1.15, that speaking of Jesus, he said, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's a Hebrewism, which means the, the most honored, the highest. Uh, it doesn't mean he was born first. It means he was um, first in everyone's estimation. He had the preeminence. There's none to touch him. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, so they are uniquely his possession and inheritance. And he is before all things, he's the origin, and in him all things hold together. Now, just, just think on that for a minute. John 1, as I've been quoting, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. That is a, well, let me just say, a better translation of that word is face-to-face. The word in Greek is P-R-O-S, pros, and it means toward. So right now, I am sitting more or less beside Sherry, and so I could say I am with Sherry, but that is not this word. This word would mean I'm right in front of her, face-to-face, and one is even translated cheek-to-cheek. It means the most intimate the most love union. And it, so it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was face to face with God the Father. He, he is equal to and is in this intimate union. And then goes on, and the word was God. And then it says again, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Here we go again. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. He's the origin of life. The life was the light of men. And that original plan, you know, he's the creator. There's this kind of relationship between him and creation. You understand what I mean? He's the one who not only made all the laws of creation, he's not only the author of all physics, he's not only the lord of the quantum, um, he holds it all together, but the plan was that there would be intimate union. That's why we were created. Love created us to be loved. Love created us that in this union of holding us together, we might know God. That's the original plan. Uh, he revealed it in John 14, 20. He says that uh, he is in the Father, united with the Father. But at the self-same moment, he's in us, united to us. And we in the self-same moment are united to him. Simultaneous relationship of love. That was the plan that we would actually participate in the life of God. Love. And that's what it means that we would bear his image, that that when persons look at us, look at each other, we see the very presence of God. You see, when we say God is love, and that he loved us and loved the world, that's not a cold legal fact. I hear some people talk about it like they're reading a legal manuscript. You know, you have to yawn halfway through. It's, but you can't talk about love as a cold legal fact. You can't observe love from the outside, except you vaguely know what's going on. But love must be experienced. That's the only way we can talk about love. 
It's experienced by two persons. And when we say God is love, you must understand within the Holy Trinity, it's not just, I mean, that ghastly way that seminaries have of teaching it. I mean, it's just a sort of ancient fact. But when I say God is love, it means that between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, there is dynamic life. There, there is movement toward. Um, there is infinite involvement with. And so it is better, uh, and you've heard me say, that this is almost a dance. This is, this is a drama going on within the Holy Trinity. That's, that's the source of our life. And we were created to join in that dance. Yet the reason, the meaning of your life is to experience the love of God at that level. That's the relationship that arises out of the fact that the creator, Jesus, is one with the creation because he's their creator. And we were created to know him in, in terms of love. And, and that's what we mean by sin. Sin is not just doing a bunch of bad things. Sin is why we do them. Uh, it's we've fallen away from the very reason that we were made. We, we departed our blueprint. We're doing our own thing. We, we went, went to, to pursue independence because what I've just described is anything but independence. It, it is the dependence of love, union, and mankind fell away to death, which means severance from this life and, and into a supposed separation. He fell into the great lie, the great false reality. So I put reality almost in parentheses. It's not reality, but it's what man sees as reality. It's out of sync with life. And that was the normal into which man came. And so when we say darkness, we mean that man doesn't get it. Man doesn't see it. In fact, man is hostile to it because he wants his independence. And in his darkness, that is the way he thinks and is. So when the Bible says darkness, it's speaking of a state of mind. It's not merely something I can't see. It's in my very head. It's in my way of thinking. It's in my imagination. I have said sometimes, just sort of very shorthand quickly, darkness is the absence of light. Well, that is true, but really, if we really want to talk about it, darkness, I say again, is state of mind. It's ignorance. It is a total ignorance and it says in the scripture, it cannot comprehend the light. It doesn't get it. It cannot understand it. It, it, it believes in its own darkness. It believes this is right. It cannot, the Bible says, comprehend the light. Yet at the same time, the word suggests uh, an attempt to overcome it or to shut it up. And so the darkness is hostile. To the light. I, I don't know if you get the picture, but here I was created for this incredible union with God to participate in the Holy Trinity through the Creator, Jesus. And that's light. And mankind fell from that into this incredible darkness where he can't even understand that, doesn't even know what that God looks like let alone what he is supposed to look like, he or she is supposed to look like. And of course, when mankind did that, it could have been the end of the story. It would make sense if it was. So you've, you've blown it, you've abandoned your blueprint, you've collapsed into a nothingness. So go on your way, descend back into the abyss of nothing from which I called you. But it isn't so. Love wouldn't let go. The, the love if I could put it this way, love, God love did not participate in the lie. 
whatever mankind believes of himself, God does not participate in that. Love still determines to bring about the original blueprint, bring his beloved human back home. And that's the story of the entire Bible right there, that God will not let us go. Whatever we do, however much we curse and shake our fist at him and say, I want my independence, love will not let us go. So fast forward, Jesus announced why he was here. Why did the creator come and become one of his own creatures and join us? He said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's pretty simple. He said, the, the creation, each one of us, as I read a moment ago, he, we were created for him. We belong to him. He's our love owner. And we were lost. We lost our mind. Went crazy. And he's now entered into the insane asylum to find his beloved and, and to bring us back to sanity. That's why he's here. Nothing more, nothing less. That's it. He's determined to bring us back home. And so that immediately places an enormous worth on us. Would you understand me if I said um, that this good news is not all about sin? Because if you put the emphasis on sin, then you turn inward to be I'm guilty, I'm worthless, I'm no good. Whereas it's not from the very get-go before Adam even thought about sinning. Um, the whole issue is relationship. God bringing us into this relationship of love. And therefore, we're not talking here about you worthless sinner. Rather, I stand in awe and say what value you have, what worth you have, that God himself would come to find you. That he would not let you go. It's, it's, it's a revelation of our worth. It's a revelation of our significance. Because it's love in intentional action coming to find us. We matter to God. And that's a phrase I think I could spend an hour on. <laughs> One of the greatest echoing emptiness of loneliness is the feeling that you don't matter to anyone or even yourself. You matter to God. You matter. God became flesh specifically to bring us back into relationship. And um, in order to do it, he had to come and become one of us. He held the whole creation together. That's relationship to the creation. That means whatever happens to him happens to creation. If the creator suddenly isn't, then the creation isn't. We hang on him. But this is different. That creation has gone insane. That creation has gone out of sync with all reality. The creator must now go further and actually become a human, become a creature of his own creation and join us at a level deeper than that of creature creator. He's, he's going to become one of us. And, and in becoming one of us, then he can actually enter into our darkness and stand with us in our darkness and save us and restore us. That's the meaning of the incarnation. You know, we say it very quickly, incarnation. But it, it, it's this cosmic event. It's an event that spans time um, and forever. Incarnation, God, the creator, actually assumes to himself for real our, and John said so specifically, flesh. The word, he said, became flesh. Notice when we talk about creator, there's no become. The word never became the creator. It says in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, the word already was. There's no becoming. It just is. 
or the name of God, I am. No past, no future, just I am. But now something will happen, hear me, something will happen in the Holy Trinity that's never happened before. God will take human flesh and that human flesh will become in the womb of the Virgin Mary. There will be a beginning, a starting, that which he never was before. And so he is the one who always was, but entered into our flesh and in our flesh became what he never was before. Do you get that? That's not just doctrine. That's earth-shaking. God became, and he didn't become human. I, I've used the word because he did. But specifically, he says he became flesh. And if you know your Bible at all, um, flesh is not a nice word. Flesh speaks of man in the darkness. Flesh speaks of broken humanity. Flesh speaks of man in the insane asylum. Flesh. So that in the New Testament, it opens up. You either walk in the flesh or you walk in the spirit. Uh, it, God became flesh. I mean, we, we've got these images of Jesus with his funny flashing lights around his head as if, you know, he comes and lives among us, above us and beyond us, and sort of take a look at me and try and be like me. But he joined us in the darkness. That's what he came for. If you're going to find the sheep, you go into the wilderness where it's gone. Jesus is God coming into. And I'm reading from John 1.14, where it says, The Word became flesh, and in your Bible it says, and dwelt among us. And I, I guess the translators just couldn't understand what it really says. The word is not among, it's in. It says that he became flesh and dwelt in us. Now, if you're an evangelical or charismatic, I'm sure you've been addressed in some way of let Jesus come into your heart. And I say this very kindly, and I mean it. You're 2,000 years too late. He came in, into our darkness and our brokenness and our twisted mindness. He came into us. He, he is the mind of the Holy Trinity. He is the purpose, the blueprint who started us. He is our original parent. He's, he's the one who, from, he's the source of our being. And now he comes and he joins us and he joins us in our darkness. He became flesh. This is incredible. He's in us. He's in us. And he's in us to seek in that darkness and get to the very guts of the darkness. Get into the belly of the darkness and restore us, return us to sanity. So hold this very carefully, because these are expressions that I've heard or something like it. Um, he, he's not doing something for us. We say Jesus came and died for us. Yeah, yeah but that's, that's pretty weak and pathetic compared with what we're talking about. He didn't, he didn't do something for us as an outside specialist being called in. If See, my, my doctor, if I, I'm sick, he will do something for me. And I'll thank him and hope never to see him again. You know, it's, there's no relationship there. He just does something for me. Jesus got inside of us. My doctor can't get inside me. He just outside of me does something for me. Jesus is God coming inside and inside our sickness or our brokenness comes inside. Um, and then we say, well, Jesus represented us. Sounds like a congressman. Um, no, he, he's not some outside representative who's coming to stand in for us. He's become one with us. Yes, he's a representative. But it means he has absolutely become one with us where we are in the darkness. He's not an observer. 
that just looks at us and sort of pities us. His presence almost mocks us. He's the perfect other. He's, he's the Jesus that you see in many religious paintings that he just looks, he's, he's at 10 feet above the ground. And, and, and the best we can say is, what would Jesus do? Try and be like Jesus. He's the perfect other. And he's no use to me because all he does is compare me to him and I feel like crap. So there's, I mean, forget it. No, all of those miss the whole point. He absolutely became, he jo joined us. I, I don't know the strongest word I can use. In, I suppose, is it? He comes inside us. Couldn't get closer than that. But, but he joined us at a deeper level than being our creator. It's, it's not, well, he's creator, I'm creature, therefore what happens to him happens to me. No, it's deeper than that. He's, he's become one of his own creation, so he gets into the core of our personhood. He gets into who I is, me. He gets into my history, and from this moment on, incarnation means my history is joined forever to my lover creator. What happens to him happens to me. And it begins by him saying, what happens to you happens to me. We are joined. That's incredible. And so he comes to me and he's revealing what God is really like. Because in that darkness, I don't have a clue what good look, that God looks like. In fact, I'm very suspicious. Actually, I'm afraid of God because you know, all I can think of is guilt, which means all he must be is punisher. And um, the whole matter is sort of destination. That uh, If I can handle this guilt thing, I might get to a place called heaven and not a place called hell. It's all about getting on the right train. But in that darkness, Jesus comes and he is the fullest revelation of God inside my humanness, my flesh. But also, at the same time, he's revealing who I am. You see, you see um, you, yeah. Um, I had Siri interrupt me there to say she wasn't understanding what I was saying. Um, I hope you are. Um, he, he came into our absolute person who joined our history. What happens to us happens to him. What happens to him happens to us. You are joined. That's the incarnation. And so the word who is my origin, my blueprint, has joined me to reveal who I was made to be. Do you understand that? Jesus isn't God showing off and saying, I can do what you can't do. He was saying, look at me, and you're looking at yourself. We, we were created in the image of God. Jesus, says Colossians 1, is the image of God. And he is coming and saying, do you realize you were created for God to dwell in your humanity? That's, that's who you are. And remember, he's saying that at our flesh level, our broken level, our screwed up level. He comes and he shows us, this is what I'm showing you. This is why you were created. That God himself would live in you and you would live in God. And I'm showing you what that looks like. And he comes engulfed in our dark hearts to be with us, one with us, in order to find us, that us at the heart of the darkness. Restore us. And that took the sufferings of Christ on the cross. And we went into this last week, but I, I, I've had enough response. I need to say it again. Um, how does he do that? We're not talking about magic here, that God just waves a wand and so he can come inside us. We're talking about real of real, 
and we have separated ourselves. We've separated into an ironclad darkness, an ignorance that neither understands God nor wants God, and we're there. How can God who loves us get inside there? That's a big, big question, and, and it tells me what's happening on the cross, because that's where it happened. I'll say in one word, he submitted himself to us and, and let us do whatever we wanted with him. And in so doing, he got inside. But let me expand upon that. See, we, we all do this. We, we, this is not a weird thing. We verbally and also physically defend ourselves. If you say something to me that is abusive, hurtful, painful, a lie, something that isn't true about me, then something inside of me rises up. I'm going to defend myself. That isn't true. And I will say so. That's a lie. That's not true. I, if I'm in a position to do so, I will threaten you. And I say, if you do that again, I will. If I'm really somebody, I'd say, don't you know who I am? You dare say that again? You dare do that again? Threats. You slap my face, I slap yours. Do you want to go on with this? It's, do you understand? That, that's, that's us in the darkness. That's how we work. Um, you abuse me. You lie about me. I rise up and verbally reject you. I'm saying I don't want you in my life. Now that, that's, you know, when someone really hurts us, we cut them off. We use that expression. Don't want them in our life anymore. Push them away. How do we do it? With words. Or what is it? Do you have it in? Sure, I surely should know now. Do you give the cold shoulder? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want you in my life. That's how we handle it. Um, we refuse the person. We don't want a relationship with them. So when they abuse Jesus... I expect him to reject it because they said crucify him, which means you are scum, you're worthless, damn you to hell. That's what the word crucify meant to a Jewish person. And when they said you are worthless, you're scum, damn you in hell, he answered them never a word. Come on, I say, Jesus, come on, that's not you. Don't they know who you are? And he said, essentially, he was saying, bring it on. I receive that. I am not separating you away. I am not refusing relationship. I am accepting you as you are. And as you are is, that's how you think about me, that I receive it. And in receiving it, he is entering into a relationship with humankind at our very worst. He's submitting to the deepest darkness that we can spew out and saying, I take it. Now, I want you to hear that. Don't, don't just say, ho-hum, what time is it? It's, he didn't receive us because we're good. He didn't receive us because we're pitiful and pathetic. He received us as we are putting our inner pain, our inner anguish, it comes out in rage, and they're tearing him apart, shedding his blood. And at that point, he says, Father, forgive them. I, I receive it. He took the worst we could give him and made it his own. And so it says, Romans 5, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Did you get it? We, we rush over those words. He didn't die for good people. He didn't die just to exemplify a nice fluffy love. He took us at our worst 
and allowed us. He gave us permission, give me your worst. And he took it. While we were yet sinners, that's when Christ died for us. And, and I, I, I said it just a second ago, what, what is going on? In that darkness, the anguish, the pain, Isaiah calls it grief and sorrow, but he uses two most extreme words in Hebrew to describe every pain the human has ever known. Um, that, that's what the darkness does. That's what guilt does. That's what shame does. That's what this sense of separation from God does. It's, it's pain, it's anguish, um, it's, it's anxiety, it's fear at, at its very worst. It is that aloneness or in the darkness, I can't see anybody else. I can only see myself and I can't even really see who I am. I've lost my identity. I've lost my own mind in the darkness. I don't know who God is. I don't know who I am. I don't know my origin. I don't, my, I don't know my meaning. We're lost. That's the word. That produces pain. A pain that is so deep we can hardly define it. An aloneness that is so terrifying we can't put words to it. And fear that has no name and yet it just is there. The horror in the darkness within us. What do you do with that? You know, it's an absolute fact. If you have that kind of shame, you want to get rid of it? You pass it on. And that's how it works in this world. Your shame, you pass on and shame another and feel better for it. The Pharisee was excellent at it. I thank you, oh God, I'm not as other men, which made them feel like you must like me because I'm not like her. It's, you, you, what, what, what's he saying? This Pharisee was saying, I am ashamed of myself before God. But if I can make you shame, then I feel better. That's, that's how we deal with it. Am I in pain? I will inflict pain on you. And we don't do it deliberately. We don't think about it, but that's the way it works. You're in a bad mood. You make everybody in the office in a bad mood. Now you feel better. It's... <laughs> It's the way it works. Pass it on. Well, why did they lash Jesus with such, not only ferocity, but hideous joy? Why did they do that? How could they be such animals? Because of the pain inside of them comes out in a lash. What landed on Jesus was not merely the lash of a Roman whip. That landed on Jesus was the pain and the anguish, the grief, the sorrow, the fears, the anxieties, the loneliness, the meaninglessness. It comes spewing out in actions. That's why we do what we do. It's because we are who we are. That's why we hurt people, because we are hurt. Out of our pain, we act. And that's why... Jesus took our brokenness, he took our sin on the cross. The Bible says he bore our sins in his body on the cross. It wasn't some magical thing. It was the things they did to his body were actually sin in action, producing the shedding of the blood. They passed it on. So Adam began the thing. Stand before God, what did you do? And he said, it was Eve. I didn't do a thing. It's her. That, that's exactly, that's the human race from there on. And now at the cross, they come to their creator and they give to him their sin and their pain. Their deepest pain, brokenness was... Now do you understand? He took it. He became us at a level we'd never dreamed possible creator upholder of the creature history of the creator history of the creature but now he's become the creature and takes to himself our pain our brokenness our 
formlessness having fallen away from the blueprint. He becomes it. When you look at the cross, see your face in the face of Jesus. See, the word reconciliation actually means exchange. That's the meaning of the word. Did you know that? Reconciliation means to stand in one another's shoes. I, I see you as you see me, and I see you as... Uh, well, we stand in each other's shoes. We see each other through each other's eyes. Reconciliation. God says, give me your pain. Give me your sin. I stand in your shoes, and I see me as you see me. I look at Jesus, I see myself. I see myself at my unspeakable worst. I see myself as a self that I don't even want to know. I see myself in that darkness that is so terrifying, I don't even want to go there. I see him. Because for everything they did, he opened not his mouth. He took it. He made it his own. And because he's the creator of every man, he receives, he embraces every man. And that's why he's called the last Adam. He's the new man. He's assumed mankind. He's assumed us in our corruption, our darkness, our pain, our hopelessness. He has become us. And in so doing, he's going to become the beginning of a new race. A new humanity is inside our darkness. So now he sees, he sees darkness. If, if he's taken us to himself, he sees what we see, meaning he cannot see his father. Now his father never forsook him. But Jesus couldn't see him in that darkness. And out of that, he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I find it fascinating. He didn't give the agonizing scream, I'm lost, I'm lost. Rather, he quoted from the Psalms, a Psalm that every Jew would know. And the first verse is, my God, you've forsaken me. That's where I'm feeling. That's what it feels like. But if you read the whole Psalm, which every Jew would know by heart, the last verse said, but you have never forsaken me. But he went into that darkness so that he felt and knew and experienced what we experience. He would not let go of us. This was by God's choice. This, this, this is incredible. He steadfastly believed the Father, the truth, steadfastly believed in our worth, significance, that we mattered, that we were created to be one with the Holy Trinity. He wouldn't, he wouldn't leave go of it. And though the suffering, he actually withdrew from it in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is what Jesus meant when he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass. This was the cup. It was the cup of the corruption of humanity that he is wanting with, but he won't let us go. We do it every week. We're going to do it in a few minutes in the Holy Communion. Let me read it. John 13, 1, Jesus, knowing his hour, this, what I'm talking about, this was his hour, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end. And that word end is the same word that Jesus used. It is finished. That word finished and this word end is the same word. He loved us to the conclusion of the matter. He loved us to the terminus. He loved us when it's done. And so passing through in our darkness, huh. He enters this seething, hate-filled, hostile darkness of death that's ruled the human since the entrance of the lie. And it's there 
he announces, Father, forgive them. There. Do you, do you understand me? It wasn't afterwards when everything is, nor before. It's when humankind doing their very worst. That. And so you get the Luke 15, the stories of um, Luke 15, the um, seeker is always going into the place of the lost. He goes into the wilderness. The, the seeker for the coin goes into the dirt and the, the dust of the house. The father runs to where the son is. They go into it. And that's where the finding takes place. Now, I know this is, for some people, this is so difficult because religion is so blind. And, and, and everything I've said, it, it doesn't mesh with religion because religion in its blindness can only say we're unworthy, we're unworthy. That's become a, what, a godly word. I'm unworthy, I'm no good, I'm no good. Uh, and so we grovel, we think we're insignificant. And it's all because of our sin. While here is, is God, creator, lover, intentionally, by his choice, his permission, meeting mankind at their worst. And at their very worst, he's embracing us and saying, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. You know, religion has said, we've got to wear a mask. Huh, yeah, um, I'm not speaking to current events, but uh, religion says you've got to have a mask. I mean, that's the very first thing that Adam and Eve did, is get a mask, fig leaves, you know. And, and I, I thought about it, again, nothing to do with current events, but go into the grocery store, and I see all the people with the masks, and all you see is their eyes, and they are eyes that are filled with fear and terror. And I've thought, that's religion. That's religion. Hide. Hide from God. Don't let him see you. Cover yourself. I've tried my best. I promise God. I promise. I'll go forward a thousand times. Put up my hand. Do whatever you want. I'm scared of God. I put on my mask. I, I said to someone not that long ago, you know, Christ lives in you. And they got quite, they almost looked afraid. They said, I, I'd like time to clean myself up before I let him in. Oh, come on. Do, do you see what? That's religion. Clean myself up before I let him in. The early days of the Pentecostal movement, um, that was the big, big thing. That I know you're a Christian. I know you're a Christian, they said. But now you've got to really get, you've got to clean yourself up so the Holy Spirit will deign to come in because you won't come into a dirty vessel. I'm quoting there from early Pentecostalism. That's damnable heresy. God came into us, not when we were just a little bit dirty. He came into the spewing guts of our darkness and let it all come at him. And he took it and became us. No religion. You don't realize that Holy Trinity in and through Jesus pitched his tent right inside our darkness and said, I'll never let you go. He came inside our trash can and made it his address. That's love. You say God loves you. That's love. He doesn't love you because... He loves you just as you... Look, the prodigal son comes home. The father leaps on the chap, you know, embraces him, kisses him all over. <laughs> that kid still reeked of pigs. That kid hadn't had a bath in weeks. Gaunt, homeless, hopeless. And intent upon convincing his father he was a worthless no good who perhaps could be a hired servant. Do you understand me? 
the father announced, you are my son, when that kid looked like anything but. The father forgave him, released him from his past, but I don't want to talk about it. And I have to say to some people, that is in the Bible, you know, have you got the memo? This is the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He, he didn't say, this is my son. I'm so proud of him. He's beginning to turn over a new leaf. He's beginning to clean up his life. Doesn't mention it. Doesn't mention it. He goes straight to the face. This is my son. He's found. He's alive. Two words that do not address cleaning up your life. Came into our hell. He made himself perfectly at home there. He joined us there. So you see, it's not me now in my lonely said, oh, come, oh, God, help me. He's right there. He's got his arms around me. He said, I've got you. I've got you. And also he's got the look of incredible joy as he does so, like the shepherd who put his arms around the sheep when he found it. And he says, with great joy. Um, can, can you understand it? In my darkness, where, when I couldn't feel worse, be worse, do worse, that's where he comes, puts his arms around me and said, Malcolm, I've been looking for you, I found you. That's, that's the gospel. So he, can you understand this? He has become you in the darkness. He's taken your darkness and made it his own. So to look at him is to see myself. His history is my history. He has become me. What happens to him happens to me, for what happens to me is now happening to him. We have become functionally one. He's not doing something for us. He's become us. The, the story, and I've told many of you this before, but um, for those of you that haven't heard it, uh, on this line that we're talking about, this comes from the earliest church. This illustration is nearly 2,000 years old, that if, I, if I'm dying in my bed and, and there comes to me the doctor and the doctor stands beside my bed and, as I said earlier, does something for me, gives me a medication that hopefully will help me, but it won't because I'm terminal. But then comes this Jesus, this doctor Jesus, only he doesn't do anything for me this Jesus actually enters into me on my bed and he becomes the patient himself. He joins me and he actually takes to himself my disease. And then in the power of his own health and life, he rises out of the bed and carries me with him. And I now have health but it is totally dependent upon him. I have life, but now it's a life in which I participate in his life. Do you, do you understand the difference? It's not he did something for me. He's, I look at that person in the darkness and Jesus, his name is Malcolm. Jesus, you know, his name is Sherry. It's, that's the gospel goes into death itself. Had to be fulfilled Eden in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And Adam didn't, but now the last Adam does. He goes into death. And he, it's interesting, they didn't kill him. Did you know that? It says he offered us his spirit. He died before they got to him. He's still in charge. This is his choice. He is actively choosing. And he comes, and coming in, he comes in as a man. Only a man can die. God can't die. And so he has taken our humanity, our flesh, and he thus, as us, enters into death. And death thought it had just another man. And when he gets inside death, he announces himself the son of God, life. And life kills death. And love overcomes all fear and all hate. 
and forgives and dismisses all guilt and all shame. He conquered death. Resurrection means not just uh, resuscitation. Resurrection means death is ended. Death is destroyed. Death was destroyed and rolled back as if it had never happened. Mankind is declared not guilty. Mankind is declared innocent to stand face to face with the Holy Trinity, included in the Trinitarian relationship. And it was all done in him. Do you get that? He became as us. He was the one that went into the darkness. He was the one that announced we're forgiven. But it's happening in his own self. He's brought to himself our sin, and now he sheds himself and says, you're forgiven. He rises. And remember, you're so joined to him now. If he rises, you rise. He carries you out of death. And he enters into that relationship with the Holy Trinity now as man. Man, woman are taken into the relationship of the Holy Trinity. But it's him, but it's us. Or shall we use the Bible term, we're in him. In, not just believing about him, I mean we are in him. What happens to him happens to us. We're in him. And he has trashed Satan underfoot. He has dismissed our guilt. He has declared us free, but in so doing, himself then, as us, rises. So he has nothing more to do with sin. Nothing more to do with guilt. Nothing more to do with shame. Nothing more to do with fear, with anxiety. Nothing more. He trashed it and rose out of it forever and has the keys of death and hell so that now, wherever he will ever meet you, He's at home where. And if you're in him, then you have nothing more to do with sin. If you're in him, it means there is no guilt any more on you than on Jesus. Jesus does not sit beside his father wondering if he's accepted today. Sin is a past issue. There is no sin consciousness. That's the gospel. Where he is, we are. He came where we are that we might be where he is. That's incredible. Huh. And that includes the relationship to the Holy Spirit that he has, he's now shared with us, which is sort of the grand finale of what he, he came to do. No more law. Jesus didn't come to enhance the law or give us an 11th commandment. He trashed it. it. says in Hebrews, it's ready to be torn up and thrown away. Why? To be lawless? No, to give us something the law couldn't even imagine. That the author of the law now lives inside me. He is my beating heart. He's written his law upon my heart, and the whole law is summed up in the love of God. The day of waiting for all the promises to be fulfilled is over. They are fulfilled. Could somebody get the memo, come out of the Old Testament and realize it is done, it is finished, and you have him. It's done. Colossians 2.13, in the message, paraphrase, it says, when you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. But then God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the street. That's the cross. You're free. God became flesh. Well, what does that say about flesh? Oh, it says we have a worth that we can't imagine. But 
if God became flesh, then in the same breath, I have to say, then mankind in, has, has now a union with God that is incredible. God now is one with man, that man might be one with God. And as he is, so are we in the earth. Huh. You have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You've received a spirit of adoption as sons. He's the son, and we are sons? Watch your language. Don't say things too quickly. He's the son, unique and only unbegun son. But now we are participating in him to the degree that we are called sons. I hope you got that. Or oh, in case you missed it, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That's in the way he talks to the, the Spirit. Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. If children heirs also heirs of god we inherit the holy trinity fellow heirs with christ in case you missed it as he so us we're fellow heirs so we're in christ we're reunited we're bathed in we're engulfed in we've become part one with him except we never lose ourselves I'm me, he's he, yet we're so one, it's simultaneously. I can't tell the difference, and yet I never become him. He never becomes me in that sense that we lose ourselves. My name is still Malcolm. His name is still Jesus. And yet we are so one, it's almost like Malcolm Jesus or Jesus Malcolm. For me to live is Christ. I live, yet not I, it is Christ who lives in me. Well, the Holy Spirit, I said, is the end, the grand end of the finished work. Finished work wasn't when Jesus died. That's the work going on. It's finished as he rose, or is it? Because we still are born in blindness. We still don't know what's going on. It isn't finished till the Holy Spirit came. And the Holy Spirit is the one that comes and opens our eyes and floods us with light and tells us what happened and tells us that we are in Christ and that he is the reality of Christ in us. And so it says, the gospel is, Acts 26, 18, it is to open our eyes so that having your eyes open, you might realize the darkness has been conquered. So I turn from darkness to light. I realize Satan has been trashed. So I turn from the dominion of Satan to God. And I receive or take what is mine, the forgiveness of sins. And inheritance among those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit does that. So the Christ event, this it's an event so cosmic that it split history. And it's AD and BC, or rather BC and AD, before Christ and after Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's even on our dates. It's even atheists write that. It's, there was an old human race and that human race in Christ, their creator, savior, lover, went to death and was summed up in him. And when he rose from the dead, he carried us all with him, carried us right up to the Father. And then the Holy Spirit comes to us and opens our eyes to show us, you're in, you're included. And it was all because of the blood that was shed, the blood that was shed by wicked men and the blood that responded and says, you are forgiven. That blood still says the same. And I still haven't finished. <clears throat> so I guess we'll be back next week.
Now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, make this so plain to you that your life forever shall have found its anchor and its center, its meaning, and the light of life. So I bless you, and so it is, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.